your weekly dose of bookish goodness, sharing our love of books and printed papers with the world. Most of the books will be quite old, some will be rare, but others will be new. All of them will be unusual or notable in some way. It's your way to visit the library without visiting the library. We will focus mainly on Britain and England, but not completely. Each adventure starts with a library find, but ends who knows where. Join us in the library with the roaring fire and the leather chairs. Cigars optional. Hello and welcome to Library Discoveries. This week we have a special episode dedicated to primarily Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, but also her other books as well. Big fan of Emily's, a Canadian-born, New York-living writer. Unusual for library discoveries in that she is still writing. Most of our authors are either deceased, retired, or otherwise inactive. And this episode itself has been delayed for uh, highly entertaining and at the same time deeply serious reasons, um, partly because the new book has been delayed, in the UK anyway, and it has been delayed because of international virus. So let's have a look at the summary of Station Eleven before we go too much further. Those of you who have not come across it are in for a treat. So according to itself, this is an audacious, darkly glittering novel set in the eerie days of civilization's collapse. Station Eleven tells the spellbinding story of a Hollywood star, his would-be saviour, and a nomadic group of actors roaming the scattered outposts of the Great Lakes region, risking everything for art and humanity. One snowy night, Arthur Leander, a famous actor, has a heart attack on stage during a production of King Lear, and Jeevan Chowdhury, a paparazzo-turned-EMT, is in the audience and leaps to his aid. <laughs> These characters are just amazing. A child actress named Kirsten Raymond watches in horror as Jeevan performs CPR, pumping Arthur's chest as the curtain drops, but Arthur is dead. Now, I, there are no spoilers of this. This is the flap that's meant to make you want to read this book. I am not spoiling anything by saying this. That same night, as Jeevan walks home from the theatre, a terrible flu begins to spread. Hospitals are flooded, and Jeevan and his brother barricade themselves inside an apartment, watching out the window as cars clog the highways, Gunshots ring out and life disintegrates around them. And I think we need to look no further than that to understand why, in the grand scale of evolution and revolution and science and everything else, this podcast, which nobody listens to, has been delayed by two months because of a flu predicted in the book that we are supposed to be reviewing. Okay, so why is Emily such a star? Where do we start? You will hear the hesitation in my voice because... As a, those of you who follow Instagram will see, I have four Emily books in front of me, not just one. And there is a great story behind that. So we start with the UK Picador Uncorrected Proof of Station Eleven from 2014. This was, as far as I remember, the first time Emily's work was published in London. And one of my favourite houses, uh, I know some of the people there at Picador are absolutely amazing. They produce all of my favourite, or publish rather, all of my favourite writers. Um, so Picador picked it up. They know what they're doing. And they later went on to pick up her other books, the three or so that went before it, which I've also got them in front of me here. But this was a real big deal for Picador. This was a serious lead pillar of their 2014 catalogue. And I got sent this by one of the publicists there who's since moved on, Sam. I'm just very grateful to her. It's really, really 
good. My wife really loves it, uh, I think, more than me. Uh, so the the inside flap for the UK trade paperback proof is day one. The Georgia flu explodes over the surface of the earth like a neutron bomb. News reports put the mortality rate at over 99%. Week two, civilization has crumbled. Year 20, a band of actors and musicians called the Travelling Symphony move through their territories performing concerts and Shakespeare to the settlements that have grown up there and so on it goes. Station 11, moving backwards and forwards in time from the glittering years just before the collapse to the strange and altered world that exists 20 years after. Uh, And so it goes on. But you'll see there a stark change. The the first flap was the uh, US edition. Nobody in the UK knows where the hell the Great Lakes are or what they are. But they're calling this, right at the beginning, the Georgia flu. Bang. Georgia flu. It's Georgia's fault. Some people call our current thing something other than uh, SARS-2 or whatever it's called. SARS-CoV-2. So there we go. And in the back flap, a nice picture of Emily and uh, critically acclaimed in the States and Canada. Mandel is a hugely exciting new literary voice. And it was Sam there. She worked for Macmillan at the time. She's got the email address uh, I'm sure she's still proud of that to this day. That's the proof, which I received free of charge, and it's probably worth far more, certainly in the UK, than the signed US first edition hardback. But I have read it. Everybody I know has read it, and it's showing signs, shall we say. So we have a post-apocalyptic novel. The US cover has tents on it. The British cover looks like Chernobyl with some skyscrapers or big buildings. You can tell it's New York from the water towers on top. And then there's a deer in the front, which is what happens, as we now know, when motorized life is disconnected. One of the things that we've seen that I've seen is deers walking down the streets. I found one in the neighbor's garden the other morning and uh, they are basically reclaiming the streets. You know, it's no... It's actually quite striking how many stories and books and movies we've been watching for the last 30, 40 years or more predicting something like this outbreak, of course, with Dustin Hoffman. And it's happened in other parts of the world and nobody really cared about it. And now it's happened to us and everybody's running around uh, like a Freddy Krueger movie. So there you go. That's the We're going to come back to all of this stuff. Station Eleven is the driving purpose behind this episode. But those of you who have listened before will know that we occasionally look at the wider context to a writer. And I particularly wanted to do this because I believe that although Station Eleven is amazing, I think Emily has a long way to go. And the Glass Hotel, from what I'm hearing in America, is at least on a level with Station Eleven. Which is not to say that Singer's Gun and Last Night in Montreal are not on the same level, but they are certainly different. One thing that strikes me right off is that they are thinner, they are shorter, simpler, and therefore cheaper books to publish. I believe, although it's a little bit confusing, that Last Night in Montreal was her first book. But to British eyes, this came out after Station Eleven. Picador bought the backlist after Station Eleven. And they're all in the same style as as Station Eleven. So there's a nice little set you can get for yourself uh, if you're in the UK and you like Picador books. Uh, Here we go. Last Night in Montreal, I believe the debut. It's not quite clear. Uh, The debut... Oh, there we go. Thank you very much. The debut of a lyrical voice singing its heart out, a beautiful work by Darren Strauss, who wrote a book called Chang and Eng. Somebody I've never heard of, um, but he obviously has great taste. Lilia has been leaving people behind her entire life, haunted by her inability to remember her early childhood and by a mysterious shadow that seems to dog her wherever she goes. 
Lilia moves restlessly from city to city, abandoning lovers and friends along the way, but then she meets Eli, and he's not ready to let her go without a fight. Sounds a bit like um, Philip Pullman there. But anyway, this was, I think, pretty highly regarded in the US and Canada, but for this reason or another, whatever reason it was, it just never quite made it across. And therefore, I think it's fair to say that nobody would have heard of her. And I think that's worth a little look. Whenever I or most people look at music and films, more so films, we tend to look to the US for what's coming next. What's the next trend? What's the next cool movie, song, band? The British music scene is way ahead of the British film production scene. There is half an eye on America. And I do not think that happens anymore for books. I think it used to happen maybe in the 70s and 80s. Here you have an absolute standout novel, but it wasn't a debut. It was was book three or four, and nobody had heard of it, even though it's written in English. So, you know, as, as we famously, many of us don't bother to learn another language, a book written in English that's really, you know, a New York Times bestseller, blah, blah, really top notch quality writing didn't even cause a ripple on the water. Until we get to Station Eleven. And now I think she is on the radar here in the rest of the English-speaking world and no doubt translated into a million different languages too, possibly even Klingon. So there we go. Uh, If you haven't heard of Emily on Twitter and so on, she's Emily Mandel. In England, the the name St. John is pronounced Sinjun and is specifically for posh people. So um, her first name's Emily, by the way. Let's look at The Singer's Gun next and then we'll finish off with a proper look at the hand-signed first edition from America. So here we have book two, The Singer's Gun, English Picador. Boston Globe, brilliant. Washington Post, tantalising. Now, I'd have to say, when I've just put my pen down on writing 100,000 words of novel, I don't expect a one-word review. Uh, Nice that there were good words, but, you know, come on, guys. After shaking off an increasingly dangerous venture with his cousin, Anton Waker has spent years constructing an honest life for himself. But then, a routine security check brings his past crashing back towards him, his marriage and career in ruins, Anton finds himself in Italy with one last job from his cousin. But there is someone on his tail and they are getting closer. The singer's gun follows Anton and Alex Broden, a detective on the trail of a people trafficker, and Elena, Eleanor, caught up in the investigation against her will. So it's a gumshoe novel, sort of, but don't expect the obvious from Emily. I remember this better than Last Night in Montreal, but there is something absolutely unique about Station Eleven that means, you know, six years later, I can still remember the, the whole flow of it and the whole gist of it. And we're going to be reading from it. We have to be careful of copyright these days, but we will be reading. We are allowed to read what is deemed to be as appropriate use or something. So for the purposes of a completely free PR exercise, we are allowed to read from Station Eleven and I commend it to you. And I suggest if you're not in the UK that you get Glass Hotel yesterday. And if you are in the UK, it's been delayed until I believe late July, early August. I have a pre-order of a signed copy. There are independent bookshops that have a set number of signed copies. Really like Station Eleven. You've got time to read it and finish it before Glass Hotel arrives. You can order yourself a pre-order. Be nice to everybody. The bookshop that you should be relying on locally in these times Emily, who could always do with a few more dollars, I'm sure, as we all could, and the publishers who 
take a risk on these things. That's the first two, Last Night in Montreal, Singer's Gun, both brilliant. If she'd just carried on like that, she'd have done fine. But Station Eleven is the business. And it's over to Paul for a look at our hand-signed personal dedication, Station Eleven, New York Edition, Hardback, First Edition. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Paul. Here I have in my hand Station Eleven, a novel. Who'd have guessed it? By Emily St. John Mandel, with two knives crossing over and some tents with a dry stone wall. They are the type of tent we used to have in the Scouts. They're called bell tents and they are round with a single pole in the middle. They're a little bit like wigwams and they are great fun. This is the American edition, hardback, from America, imported by myself, because this was at the time when Emily, uh, bless her, couldn't get arrested in the UK. Station 11 was just about to come out here, but it was already out in America. And because I'd got the pre-production edition, I knew how good it was. And everybody I lent it to said how good it was. And everybody who had the that copy and reviewed it said it was amazing. And it is amazing. And there's rumours or not even rumours of a TV series and a film and everything else, which is absolutely justified. Although, as anybody knows, uh, if you have already read the book, you should never watch the film. And if you haven't read the book, the only reason watching the film is to see whether you might like the book, because the book is always a billion times better. On the back, this is advanced praise. So people who had read the pre-prod like me, Patrick DeWitt, uh, Emma Straub, of course, uh, Lauren Bukes, who was massive that year with The Shining Girls. Jesse Burton, who is massive here now with The Miniaturist, of course. That's been on TV here. And her newer books are equally amazing. Jesse, we would love to do you in a few weeks. So there we go. What do we say? We've read the flap. However, the boards are worth a look. So if we just listen to me while I open up the boards. Although the cover is nice, it's a really handsome dark blue spine, gold lettering with a kind of ochre... Uh, other, it's, it's a two-tone board. It's really, really sweet. We have a problem. And the problem here is not Emily's fault. It's not Knopf's fault who publish it. This is an American issue. And it's not the only book I have. Uh, she'll be thrilled to hear that Cuckoo's Nest is my other book that I picked up at the airport. And on the road, by the way, as well. I picked these books up in America in the airport. And they have the common problem Publishers seem to think that if you're good, you should be hard to read. And so what they do, they don't finish the book when they cut it out. So anybody who knows about book production, and that's something we will be covering, there is a job that you do after you've put the leaves of the pages together, where you trim with a guillotine or other sharp instrument the edges of the paper so that they are all the same size. And this means that when you flick through a book or try and read it, you can very easily proceed from the current page to the next page. However, they do not do this in America for certain writers. They leave those rough edges and you can see the individual gatherings and it is a nightmare to flick through in chronological order, sequential order, and it is difficult to read. In fact, this is a hallmark of success. If your book has not been properly trimmed, then you have made it. Let there be no doubt. Station Eleven, also by Emily. Last Night in Montreal, The Singer's Gun and The Lola Quartet. The Lola Quartet is the only one I don't have and haven't read. Station Eleven, to Paul with best wishes. Emily, September the 5th, 2014, New York City.
And she's not one of those writers that crosses her own name out, which... Uh, yeah. This is a Borzoi book published by Alfred A. Knopf. Copyright 2014, Alfred Knopf, manufactured in the US. Jacket designed by Abby Weintraub, and Abby Weintraub has done a great job. Uh, in memory of Emily Jacobson, what do we have next? Oh, it's a quote from The Separate Notebooks. I won't try and pronounce that. Milosh. The bright side of the planet moves toward darkness, and the cities are falling asleep, each in its hour. And for me, now as then, it is too much. There is too much world. The Theatre. Chapter 1. The king stood in a pool of blue light, unmoored. This was Act 4 of King Lear. A winter night at the Elgin Theatre in Toronto. Earlier in the evening, three little girls had played a clapping game on stage as the audience entered. Childhood versions of Lear's daughters. And now they'd returned as hallucinations in the mad scene. The king stumbled and reached for them as they flitted, here and there in the shadows. His name was Arthur Leander. He was fifty-one years old, and there were flowers in his hair. Dost thou know me? the actor playing Gloucester asked. And we have a bit of King Lear. People like Bruce Robinson say that Shakespeare is the one and only thing you need to know about England. If you if you know Shakespeare, you know England and you know the British. And I know what he's saying. I know what those people think, but it's still tricky. And then we find, um, I'm just trying to find the key bits because I'm only allowed to read a certain percentage of this book. Arthur wasn't breathing. Oh, dear. The two shadows, security men, had stopped a few paces away, presumably catching on by now that Jeevan wasn't a deranged fan. The audience was a clamour of voices, flashes from cell phone cameras, indistinct exclamations in the dark. If there was one device that I could disinvent, it would be the cell phone with a camera, to be honest. Jesus Christ, Edgar said. Oh, Jesus. He dropped his British accent and now sounded as if he were from Alabama which in fact he was. Uh, so they try and revive this guy, but as you already know, they're not successful. And this is in the past. This is before the Holocaust, before the flu, the Georgia flu, let's call it. Let's not call it COVID. Uh, anyway, as we now know, COVID's not really a flu. So, you know, we're in the clear with that one. It's a work of absolute genius. It's about lots of things. We had to do, those of us who were lucky enough to get the book for free, the deal was that we had to do uh, a thing where we blogged about an item for the museum of whatever it is. In other words, if you could take one thing from the current world and stick it in a museum for the future, what would it be? What it would not be in my case is the cell phone, as we call it, the smartphone, or in Germany, of course, mine handy. I would say the printing press... I don't think anybody else said the printing press, but of course the book wouldn't have been possible without the printing press. But equally well, I was aware at the time it was a slightly pretentious thing to say. It seemed to me a bit obvious, but still, I was the only one who picked it. The printing press, and I've watched something very recently where people were saying, oh, you know, people like Richard E. Grant were saying, oh, without the printing press, where would we be? You know, it's it's like the wheel. Uh, it's like fire, although we discovered fire, we didn't invent it. The wheel, the printing press... 
there is the internet now, but there are certain things which you couldn't have without the other, and you couldn't have the internet without the printing press. Without printed type, you couldn't have a computer which had printed type on the screen. You would have a computer which tried to approximate handwriting, which would have been impossible to read. I do believe, I'm trying to think of an alternative, I do believe that the printing press and everything that led to it and everything that led from it and everything that we have today that we consider to be important and let's look at how the world has changed without education these last few months if you take away education and the printing press and the written word you take away our ability to convey ideas fast across the world even more importantly than that i think you take away our ability to hand on knowledge to the next generation and that is why i picked the printing press because without it you can only learn what somebody else can tell you. I know, okay, you could say, well, they could record it, their voice and stuff, but the the voice, the ability to record voice is a way bigger technical achievement than the printing press because it, first of all, needs electricity and so on. And yes, there might be some wax record thing that you could do without electricity, but with a hand-wound what's-it. But without the printing press, you do not have the ability to transmit knowledge through the years through time effectively and that is why i picked it that is why this book is brilliant because it makes you think these things and it makes you talk about these things with your friends and this was one of the very few books i can remember in the last 10 20 years which was a water cooler book there are people in london who have read jesse burton yes they have read station 11 and they have read nothing else there are so so few books in that category yes everybody's read or have they the shining Probably not. They've probably seen the film, which even King hated. But have they seen Station Eleven on Netflix or at the movies? No, because it's not out yet. Have they read the book? Yes. There are a significant number of people in in London, in England, who have read this book, written by a Canadian living in New York, about a future which couldn't possibly happen, but actually did. She deserves all the luck and all the future fame from The Glass Hotel, which is out this summer. So there we go. Uh, I'm, this is really, I'm really pleased I've got this book. It was ordered by me, and, and the current book is not available to buy if you're in the UK. You, the, the shop that's handling it do not ship worldwide. So I was there at the right time. I feel like I discovered this writer and this book on behalf of the whole of the Great British Northern Isles, blah, blah, UK. Not true. Sam was there before me. Still, it feels like something that I was there for the start of. These books, all four of them, have a special place. We have a special bookshelf for rare and prized possessions and Station Eleven sits in there. So thank you for listening. Hope this is enough for you to go and read it. Hope Emily's listening. Hope she's not too offended by anything that I've said and go too. She's going to write more. You have to buy them and even better than that if you read them. Thanks for listening to Library Discoveries this week and we'll be back next week with another book. Loxley by PC Detman is available from all the best bookshops and online outlets in audiobook, paperback and ebook. Paul Loxley is an average spy from the north of England. To keep him out of trouble, Spanton of MI6 sent him to a private girls' boarding school in the Chiltern Hills. Unfortunately, as so often in the past, trouble found him. The pupil he was sent to watch was me. Niku Hayek, and I absconded. 
They think it was something to do with my Iranian father, an arms dealer and international man of mystery. Anyway, we followed him to Hong Kong. My French teacher, Miss Leclerc, turned Loxley's head. And was that my fault? No. Can Loxley defeat his own demons and revive his career? Probably not. Not if you ask me. He's toast.